It's really good to be with you guys this morning, and uh, <laughs> I'm just excited to, to ju- uh, jump into this conversation with you. And um, speaking of that exact joke, uh, I want to reiterate what Pastor Nate was talking about, where he talked about the uh, grace race is coming up. And our grace race is our annual 5K. Uh, it's not just for people that are sick and think that fitness is fun. Um, it's also <laughs> for those of us that uh, want to kind of help uh, with things around the world. And so uh, one registration for that uh, supplies 100 meals. Um, And so even if it's just like, you know what, I want to come out and just go for a walk. I haven't run yet this year and I'm planning on doing it. So uh, it's going to be a good time and uh, we're going to have a blast. And uh, it's also very competitive at the same time. So if you are that guy or that girl, uh, come out and you're going to be impressed with it as well. It's going to be a good time, fitness challenge. Let's feed some kids. It's going to be awesome. Well, I want to dive into a little bit um, of a conversation that for me actually kind of segues from our last series called Little Christ. Uh, When we did that series, uh, I was personally challenged quite a bit on what it means to truly follow Jesus. And I I love getting that fresh perspective. I love re-looking at that because I want my relationship with Jesus to be as vibrant as possible. And I was just challenged on what is it that I'm doing? What are the things in my life where I am actively getting to know Jesus better and more? And so it reminded me, though, of the time that I had in college because I gave my life to Jesus a week after I graduated high school. And so all through college, uh, getting to know who Jesus was and what it meant to follow him was a brand new concept for me. And I remember I was diving into the Bible a bunch. I wanted to learn. I wanted to study. I wanted to know what it meant to, to be connected with God. And I was connecting all the time also with other believers and other folks that were following Jesus. And I wanted to kind of be sharpened by them and I wanted to be mentored by them. I wanted to be uh, influenced by them. And I remember just having a a season of really just growing pretty uh, vibrantly with Jesus. But I also remember going through that and feeling like there was a a small element missing. As, As satisfying as that relationship with Jesus was, I felt like something wasn't quite right, that there was something that I wasn't doing, something that I wasn't a part of that was gonna help my relationship with Christ continue to be exciting and vibrant. And so um, fast forward a little bit. Uh, I became uh, my church's youth pastor shortly after college and was able to begin connecting with teenagers and, and helping them understand who Jesus was. And as a part of being a youth pastor, I was uh, had the privilege of going uh, on a trip with other youth pastors to Brooklyn to visit some different ministries out there and chat and powwow. And one of the ministries we visited, I had an opportunity to ride on a school bus with some kids that we were picking up to bring to one of these inner city programs. And so I had a, a, a lot of fun doing this. I'm sitting down next to this like nine-year-old kid and we're doing things that you know you do with every nine-year-old kid that you're trying to meet. We're thumb wrestling, okay? And so we're trying to hang out and I'm letting him beat me a little bit because my thumb's like 18 times his size and, you know, I'm pretending like it hurts and I'm like, you know, the stuff that you do with a little kid is a lot of fun. Uh, We're teaching other handshakes and all this kind of stuff. It was a blast. Well, about 10 minutes into the trip, he kind of slides over and then lays his head down on my knee and pretends like he's taking a nap. And I'm like, I'm not really sure why you're doing that, but whatever, you're apparently comfortable and this fine, whatever. Well, the bus ride only lasted about five more minutes and we show up at the center and this kid did something that changed my life. He looked up at me right in the eye and he said, will you be my dad? Bing, (laughs) life just total different trajectory. Those simple words, suddenly it made sense to me, that little void that I felt like was missing. I felt like God spoke to my heart in that moment and said, if 15 minutes of just undivided attention and love to a kid like this can garner that type of response that he would ask a stranger to be his dad. Imagine what would happen if you'd give your life to that type of effort and that type of love. Imagine what would happen if my church gave itself to that type of effort and to that type of love. And as I mentioned, my life took a hard right turn at that point and I realized I have to be invested in that type of work. 
Now, about every couple years or so, I make it a point to read through the entire Bible. And one of the last times that I did this, there was a verse that I want to share with you that jumped off the page at me like never before. Uh, We're going to go to the book of Jeremiah. And so if you have a Bible, go to the book of Jeremiah. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seats in front of you. Um, Or if you have a smartphone or tablet, we use the YouVersion app. It's a Bible app. Uh, You can search for a live event there and you'll find our church by uh, our zip code being 44333. And we're going to look at this passage here in Jeremiah where God is interacting with his kings, his leaders, his people, and he's starting to um, point out a very specific thing here that, again, was a part of encapsulating this mindset deep into my heart. So on page 540 in that Bible in front of you, Jeremiah 22, starting in verse 15 and going on to 16, he says, did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Here's the kicker. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Now, up until this point, up until reading this passage, even as much as that kid had changed my trajectory, even as much as that became a passion of mine, I wasn't sure that that was natural language for me to say a part of following Jesus wholeheartedly means this is the kind of work that I'm going to be doing. I'm going to care for the cause of the poor and the needy. But suddenly, plain as day, here's God saying part of what it means to know me is to care for that very cause. Now, as we fast forward into the New Testament of the scripture, I put some verses there in your notes that you can check later, but Jesus begins to extrapolate a theme as he teaches directly from his mouth to his disciples and the people trying to follow him, and this theme is love. So we see in John 13, he says that by this, all people will know that you're my disciples, that the people that follow me, if you have love for one another. In the book of Matthew, he says, love your enemies. And then he continues to say, you know, even people that are godless love their friends. Okay, we love our friends, big deal. But I'm challenging you to even love your enemies. There's an extremism to this love that we're supposed to be given. In Matthew 6, he says, when you give to the needy, and that that word when sticks out to me. He doesn't say if. Jesus is saying, if you're a part of who I am and you're connecting with my heart, then there's going to be a very natural outcome of you caring for people. So when you give to the needy, in Mark 12, someone approaches Jesus and they say, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What above all else do I need to make my life about? And Jesus' response is to love God with everything that you have, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. And he says, everything else that I've commanded hangs on those two things. It's love. And then one of his last challenges as he walked on this earth was to go make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And what are those things that we're teaching that he has commanded? It's this constant theme of love. That this extreme, actionable love could change lives, that it could permeate into a child's life, an adult's life, a family, a community, and even a nation, that this is what a part of following Jesus is all about. Now, this particular season is one of my favorites. Uh, This late spring, early summer season is one of my favorites here at Grace Church because we get to see this uh, happen kind of in force. We see a lot. We're able to send out lots of different teams around the world and even into the community at this time. And as a matter of fact, um, Pastor Jeff and a a small team from Grace just got back from the Chad in Africa. And so Jeff's actually going to come up and he's going to share with us a little bit about how this trip went. So let's welcome him to the stage. Jeffrey, good to see you. Now, it's kind of a big deal that you're actually welcoming him to the stage, not only because he's a, quote, big deal. End quote. Mm-hmm. I am a big deal. <clears throat> In my mind, I'm amazing. That's awesome. Good for you, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but no, in all reality, he's actually still a little sick, um, as a couple of our teammates uh, from that team are. He's so... Bear with him. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Did you bring anything back? I brought a little souvenir back in my awesome. stomach. Oh, it's fantastic. Good. Please share. <clears throat> I'll be over here. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's good. 
Well, Jeff, um, I know that this has been something that's been on your heart and mind for a long time, mm-hmm. that we, our church, that as individuals and collectively would be behind this. Just share a little bit about your passion and vision for that. Yeah, so when, when, um, when we started Grace 15 years ago, reaching out to the ends of the earth it was a part of that. It's a, it's a biblical directive. We're going to talk about that more in the next couple of weeks that uh, every local congregation, every follower of Christ is to have a global vision, the Bible tells us, and, and we're to uh, work to proclaim the gospel in those places. So when we started Grace, that was very much in our DNA and uh, very much something that we, we felt called to do and we have been doing <clears throat> kind of over the years. About seven years ago, um, the, as the church matured and was kind of get, getting going and we were reaching people here and then started all of our urban initiatives and we're starting to reach into the, the cities around us and meeting needs as well. And we felt like it was time to open up globally. And so we started looking for um, where to do that and what to do. And I actually had a list of uh, seven things I was looking for. So uh, I wanted to find a place in the globe where you can do leadership development education, do medicine, church planning, orphan care, uh, work with Muslims, so a predominantly Islamic place, and then a place that other people were leaving, but we would go to. So at Grace, uh, we have these eight values that kind of steer the church, and one, the first of those values is we'll do anything to make Jesus make sense to people. So proclaiming the gospel is the, the first one. And then one of the other ones is we will do hard things. So uh, it's a value of the church, it's a DNA of the church that if, if there is a place on earth that is kind of forsaken, or there's a job that nobody else wants to do, we'll volunteer to do it. And realizing that it's, it's not difficult to uh, move resources and people to some of the more pleasant places on the earth, but it's very difficult to move resources and people to some of the most forsaken, difficult places on, on the earth. And so we just decided, the elders and I decided up front, like Grace Church will always be that, those people that raise our hand and say, we'll, we'll do that. So as I put this list together, I called uh, our director of international missions uh, down in Atlanta and I said, hey, I'm looking for something like this that has these seven things on this list. And he it took him about a half a second and he said, do you want to go to Chad, Africa? He said, you're, you're, what you're describing is Chad, Africa, and God's doing some incredible things there, and it's everything that you want. So actually, Joe and I, and uh, John Halston, Sean Cano, we all jumped on an airplane uh, back in 2009 and went to Chad, Africa, and Chad is this place. Chad is a very difficult place. It's 60% Muslim, uh, so it's a, it's a very different, it's a very foreign culture to us as Westerners and as, as North Americans. And so it's very difficult that way. It's very hot. Uh, I think the, the lowest, uh, the, it, it, when we were there, uh, it's between 110, 115 degrees every day. And it'll get down to about 90, 95 at, at night. There's no infrastructure. So you're usually on a dirt road. There's no plumbing. There's no restrooms. Uh, that you, you don't even touch the water, right? There's no electricity, all that kind of stuff. It's very difficult um, to be there. It's dusty. You're going to get uh, a bug coming back. I mean, you just are. Like, I was planning on coming home sick, so this is not surprising. And I, I feel better, and it'll go away, and I'm 99% sure I'm going to live through it. So thanks for your prayers. Uh, but <laughs> it, it's just the way it's going to be, right? You're not going to sleep the time. We're there for 10 days. You're not going to sleep through the night one of those nights because it's so hot. Um, but I love it. Like I could go back tomorrow because God is doing incredible things there and uh, he's, he's letting us be a part of it. So that's how we wound up in, in Chad. Yeah, it was, it was good going with you. I know we had a lot of fun and got to know each other on a, a more deep level. We and did. I, I, disco- I discovered in 2009 when we went to Chad together, Joe and I, that Joe Caruso, your give it away pastor, has no soul, no soul whatsoever. So, so we, were, we were sharing a room together. We were roommates in, in a room about this size, actually. And uh, <clears throat> we were sleeping in two separate beds, but we were sleeping about this close. You're just crammed in there. It's like nine, it was like 98 degrees in our room that night. The ceiling, the electricity kept going out. So the feel, and I got sick to my stomach. And, 
And uh, I got this price of food poisoning or something, and I'm laying there shivering, right? So I'm shivering in 98-degree weather. I'm moaning. I'm going, and, and then my, my stomach would cramp. I'm like, like that, you know? I have to keep leaving the room to get water yeah, because you have to get filtered water, this and that. He never flinched. Like, he never, he never woke up. He never checked on me. I had to step over him to get out of the room. He never even moved. I'm like, you have no soul whatsoever that someone could suffer by you all night. He woke up in the morning. He goes, I think I slept the best I've slept in Chad the whole week. And I, and I said, I hate you. I hate you. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> It's good to be hated. Um, <laughs> to this day, I hate him. This is all a, a, a farce that's going on right here. Yeah. See, as the missions pastor, the number one thing that I have on almost any packing list is earplugs. Uh, they work <laughs> wonders, whether it's a moaning roommate or a goat or a beeping truck. You sleep through it. It's it is, fantastic. It's I hate you. <laughs> Thanks, friend. Okay. Well... <laughs> Well, Chad is hard. Chad is hot. Chad is dusty. Chad is far away. But it's also kind of, uh, it's like spiritually hard too. There's a lot of incredible diversity and stuff. Like, uh, you know, share a little bit about that to keep us up to speed on what's going on there that way. So one of the reasons why we are drawn to Chad, first of all, we felt like the Lord kind of led us there and, and that's the predominant thing. And then as we look at it, Chad is actually in a very strategic place on the continent of Africa. So Chad is unique in that um, it has 120 different languages that are spoken. This is in one country, so 120 different languages. There's 141 different people groups. So Africans, especially rural, rural Africans, don't think nationally. Like, the, the borders of Chad, Libya, they didn't come up with that. The, the Europeans did that in the 1960s when they were decolonizing. So a, a rural African thinks tribally. And so when you think of 120 different languages, you're talking about different tribal languages, 141 different people groups. These are different tribes that, uh, that would uh, be functioning there. Now here's the cool part. Of those 141 different people groups, 72 of those people groups are on what we would call the least reached people groups list, okay? And what that means is this, in a least reached people group list, it means that there is zero representation of the gospel in that people group. So that tribe or that group of people, they do not, they may not even know the name of Jesus. If they do know the name of Jesus, they would know, know it through an Islamic presentation that he's a, one of the prophets. They have no idea about the gospel. They've probably never been exposed to the word of God. And it has no history, no tradition in, in their people group at all. So to be able to kind of land one place on the planet and have access to 72 different people groups that uh, have, that, that's a very rare thing, and it makes Chad very strategic when it comes to uh, proclaiming the gospel across the world. In addition, right now, Chad is almost oddly, Chad's one of the poorest countries on the planet, so almost in a weird way, it's an oasis of calm in Africa. So uh, there's a, uh, the president there, we say president, he's a dictator, right? But the, the leader there is a Muslim who is very open to Christians coming in and out. Uh, and he's very pro the West. So he's trying to develop his, his country and he knows that Christians can come in, they'll bring medicine, they'll bring English, they'll teach English to people, they'll be helpful. And he's pro the West because he's pro the investment. So it's a really amazing little window of time that we have a Muslim country that's welcoming Christians. When, when I uh, you know, checked in at the airport, they, they say, you know, what do you do? I'm a pastor, why are you here? To do missions. So we go in above the radar, we're not going in covertly, we're telling the government exactly what we're doing and they're open to it and uh, they're, they're not anti-American or anti-West in any way. And so we kind of have this invitation to come in and to do the work of the church. And it just, with, uh, in a place where the work of the church is desperately needed, where people have no access to the gospel. So it's a very unique time and a very unique place. It's very strategic uh, to that part of the world. Yeah, when we define 
a place where hope is hard to find. It's Chad. Chad, Africa. You know? And it's amazing to see what God's doing there. And we'll have you update us on that here in a second. But um, some of you might know Craig and Jackie Palmer. Craig and Jackie are from Grace. They grew up or, you know, from Akron, from Stowe. Um, and they recently moved to Chad, Africa to do long-term work there. And so they actually filmed a video on your guys' trip. And we're actually going to hear a little update from them. So let's check this out. Hi, it's Craig and Jackie Palmer from Jemaina, Chad, and we're just checking in and saying hi to all of our friends and family back at home at Grace, and we appreciate all the, the prayers and communication we've gotten from all of you, and pray that we will continue to have that. We need you guys, and so appreciate you. Some of the things we do here is we have two different locations we operate out of. We work, operate out of Moondu sometimes. We have a station down there where um, we help with the nationals, the pastors, the evangelists, and help take care of things. Jackie does the books down there. And then up here in Jamaica, uh, we're stationed with the mission team. Even though we're working for Encompass, we help hundreds of missionaries come and go from Chad and help them with their finances when they need picked up the airport so that um, we're, the, we're the feet on the ground so that people can come and go and then when you come here you have somebody meeting you at the airport in a strange country in a strange language and it's really difficult to come here if you don't have that advantage. So thankful for your financial support and hey like us on Facebook Craig Palmer or Jackie Palmer and we'll be glad to put some post pictures up there all the time so keep in touch with us. Yeah, and guys, uh, Craig and Jackie um, went to language school for a year, and then they've landed in Chad in March. Uh, you guys, we as a church, allow that to happen financially through the Big Little Project, so thank you again for investing in that. Um, I want you to know, I, I was unbelievably blown away by how well they're doing. They're, they're running around there, speaking the language, making friends, making connections, uh, they've been there for four months. I, I, I literally I was just kind of blown away by how fast they've, they've locked on there. Um, you should be incredibly proud of, of them and the job that they're doing. Craig is running us all over the country, and, and uh, that, that's like a, a big deal because the, the, there rarely are roads. There are not street signs. You guys know the, the U2 song where the streets have no names, right? If you don't, if you don't know that song or U2, you should draw closer to Christ. But anyways, uh, that's the way that it is. There, there is no GPS. There's no anything. So just to be able to navigate uh, the place was incredible. So they're doing, they're doing well. Actually do like them on Facebook and do communicate yeah. with them. It's lonely. And so they kind of long for information from home. I was here for, uh, there for 10 days and I'm the same way. And when you could get uh, the internet, you kind of want to know what was going on at home. So interact with them that way and be proud of them. They're awesome. Yeah, I honestly I miss them. I hung out with them a lot while they were here, and but it's just so encouraging to see uh, just how God is using them in crazy ways. And they're and they're normal folk. I mean, they're just sold yeah, their business a plumber. Here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <they're, laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just awesome to see how God's using yep. them in an incredible, incredible way. Well, let's um, let's take a look at just kind of the climate of what's been happening in Chad over like the last fifteen, seventeen years or so. How is, what's happening with the church? What's the state of what's happening there with the Chadian leaders? What's going on there? So this is, uh, this is amazing and exciting. And what, what's going on right now is there's a church planning movement that is biblical in its proportion that's happening in, in Chad right now. So let me explain it to you a little bit. Um, put a map up here. When you look at Chad, See, it is right there in the middle of, of Africa. And look at Sudan, Libya, Niger, and Nigeria, kind of all around there. Remember that for most, most of the Africans that live there, those borders don't mean a bunch of things to them. That, that was the, the French who decolonized and said, let's chop it up this way. They think tribally, so they think of kind of their historical lands and, and where their family and connections are. So when you th what I'm about ready to say, think of kind of the, the tip of Sudan there, which is the Darfur region where the genocide happened, um, up into Liberia, into Niger and, uh, and uh, Nigeria, and then Cameroon down there. Think of that as kind of one thing. So 17 years ago in that area, 
17 years ago, we know that there were approximately 72 churches in that whole area, and that was it. That was kind of the, the, the total presentation of, of Christ in the church 17 years ago. 17 years later, in that whole area, there are now 272 churches. There's 138 church plants. There's 15 cells, which you think of as a life group. And then there are hundreds of what we call points of light, which are initial contacts with people about the gospel. So that, that is humongous growth. It is happening very rapidly. I, I want you to think about this. They went from 72 churches to 272 churches to 138 church plants in 17 years. Grace Church went from zero to five locations in 15 years. So just giving you a scope of what's going on there, and Grace would be thought of as a rapidly growing church, right? So scope of what's going on here. What's incredible is this. Most of those church plants are pushing north. So when you look at that map, if you kind of cut Chad in half horizontally, everything to the north of that is, is Islamic, is Muslim. Everything to the south of it is predominantly Christian. So these church plants are pushing north into Sudan, Libya, Niger, etc. The other thing that's incredible about all this is none of it is Western-led. So these are Chadian pastors, Chadian evangelists, Chadian missionaries, and they're going out and they are doing the work and they are proclaiming the gospel. And they see themselves as, uh, they, they would say this, that we're, we're on the front lines our dream and our goal is to stop the spread of Islam moving down. And we want to stop it right here in Chad. And we want to take the gospel forward. And they are doing an absolutely incredible job. Church planting and growth on that level is biblical in its proportion. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that happens in the Bible. And they're doing it and they're doing an amazing job with it. That's incredible. And when we think about taking hope somewhere, taking the love of Jesus somewhere, um, looking to see that expressed in very tangible ways. We're actually seeing medicine be kind of at the yep. tip of that spear to help uh, show folks the love of Christ. Talk about what's happening there medicine-wise. So medicine's a big deal in, in Chad for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one is because you can't access it and, and, and it doesn't exist. And two is because in a predominantly Muslim country, it, Islam generally does not teach compassion to anyone who is not Muslim. So Christianity is weird in that Christianity would teach that we show compassion and love to everyone who comes across our path. We're not asking if your life's put together or what religion you are. We will, in the name of Jesus, uh, be merciful and compassionate to you. So in a country where uh, medicine is very, very difficult to access, remember there's no roads, there's no water, there's no electricity, there's no sewer, there's no... CVS, there's no pharmaceutical company making drugs, right? So it's very, very hard to access. We have found, and the Chadians taught us this, uh, they are saying, if you guys can keep providing medicine for us, clinics and hospitals, it becomes huge doors for us to open the gospel up in the lives of people. So we're doing two things. Uh, one thing we're doing is we're building these clinics. The, uh, the, the Chadians build the clinics. They also staff the clinics. We'll provide uh, a lot of the finances for it and some of the training that goes into it. Now, when I say a clinic, don't think of the wellness center, right? <laughs> when I say a clinic, uh, this, this would be an example of a clinic. This is a recovery room at a clinic, and that is a dirt floor. And that young lady there is receiving an IV. She's very, very ill, uh, but she's receiving an IV. That is high-end medicine in Chad. So behind that, what you don't see in the picture is a, a concrete building. That building has a delivery room in it, uh, and that building has um, uh, a place that you can like, generally receive treatment in it. And that is a massive blessing to uh, a Chadian, okay? Now, when you go to that clinic, you're going to hear about the gospel of Jesus. Uh, there's probably a church plant right next to it, but we do not care if you are Muslim or who you are. Anyone who come, we will serve and, and we will help. Uh, we, have, um, we also have a hospital in Chad, in the southern part of Chad, this little, in this little town called Gajibien. And uh, in 2009, when we were there, 
uh, we came back and uh, told the congregation, if you were here in 2009, you remember me coming back and saying, hey, we got to do something about this hospital. Uh, they need money. So I think we raised $100,000 or something like that, like in a weekend. And uh, we built this laboratory. Let me show you this. And this is a laboratory. Now, I know for us, we'd walk in there and like cover our children's eyes and leave immediately, right? It looks primitive to us. For Chad, this is cutting edge. And what you have there is you have a blood bank where we can store blood. You have uh, uh, microscopes and things like that. And you have a trained technician. That's the gentleman standing there. And that's, that is mind-boggling or life-changing for the Chadian culture. Um, this hospital, Chad is twice the size of California. So imagine in the southern half, imagine being in California, the only place in California that you could receive a surgery that required a blood transfusion is in that, that hospital that you built five years ago. That's it. Now that's a huge deal. So when you think about needing an appendectomy or needing a, uh, your spleen removed, the Chadian, the, the doctors there, we call them nurses, but the doctors there, they can do those basic surgeries. Uh, think about needing a C-section and you need a blood transfusion. That hospital is the only place in California that you can get it and you've, you've provided that. And it is life-changing there. Now again, everyone who comes to our hospitals, we will treat. We, turn, we don't turn anybody away. But we also do it unapologetically in the name of Christ. So we also share the gospel there. So 50%, 50% of the people who come and get treatment at the hospital accept Christ as their savior. That's how effective it is. Because this idea that I'm not in your church or I'm not in what they would think of as your tribe and you would care for me, it blows them away. It's the good Samaritan idea playing out in real time and you help to provide that. So medicine's a big deal. Uh, Bobby Claypool, who is a part of Grace, Bobby's a nurse practitioner and a midwife. Uh, Bobby also organizes all of our chatty and efforts here at Grace Church. Uh, she's been there. She's uh, training uh, women, especially about how to do prenatal care and then afterbirth care. So in Chad, uh, one in eight children die before they're uh, five. Uh, one in 14 women will die in childbirth. So the most, the most dangerous thing a woman does there is give childbirth. So think about this. Uh, in the States here, statistically, when you're giving birth, your statistical chances of dying in childbirth are zero in the United States. Now, I know there's a risk, but you understand, just to compare. So it's a very dangerous thing. And then every time you have another child, your chances of dying go up. So to have a C-section and to receive blood or to have trouble when you have childbirth, you can't stop bleeding to receive blood. We're saving these women's lives left and right. Uh, the children, Bobby taught them something as basic as um, chatty and women were taught that when a child's born, the first thing you should do is give the child water. So the first day of their life, you give them water. Well, that's not healthy for the baby, period. And then that water is going to be dirty. I mean, it, there's just no clean water there. So Bobby taught them something as simple as when, the, when a child's first born, let the child nurse. And all of the mother's milk is the vitamins and nutrients. It's, it gives a lot of your uh, immune system is developed right through that, through that process of nursing. So Bobby trained uh, chatting women who were going out to all of these villages and they're changing hundreds, thousands of years of tradition by simply saying, let your baby nurse right away and the baby will have a stronger immune system. Well, this is literally changing like the countryside and hundreds and hundreds of these women are, are learning these things and, and it's altering things. And then they will present the gospel in that process. So we, we will meet your physical need, we will turn no one away, and we will also meet a spiritual need. It's all, it all goes together and they're, they're, uh, it's huge. So the Chadians are saying, man, if we could create more of these clinics... Uh, it's a great way to present Christ and then we're there, we tell Jesus and there's a church right there and we start to reach people that way. It's incredible. I am blown away by the story after story after story of how Chadians are taking this stuff and just multiplying it all throughout that yeah. to watch these Chadian nurses then take this and they're now educating these women at what they're not just waiting on us. The Chadian leaders, the evangelists, the pastors, they're learning these things and they're 
uh, facilitating this movement like crazy. Talk about some of the, the people we're partnering with there, some of the, um, the caliber of folk that we're working with there in Chad. Yeah, it, this, this unique opportunity, I mean, this unique moment in history is, is huge. And, and I, want, I want us to kind of understand this a little bit. I, I asked for this picture to come up. I want to use this as a little bit of an illustration. So um, this is one of our Chadian pastors. Uh, the, the guy uh, to his right there is a guy named Dave Giles. He's our international director of missions. You recognize my sexy self right there. And, uh, and that's my uh, son, Josiah, who was uh, on this trip with us. So I want, you to, I want you to look at that pastor here for a minute, and, and I want us to understand something about our North Americanism. When we look at that pastor there, we would view him with a prejudice, and it's not a racial prejudice, I don't mean that at all. We would view him with an economic prejudice. So as North Americans, when we think of someone who's educated and successful and competent, we would view that person in a certain way. They would dress a certain way. They would live in a certain house. They'd drive a certain car. And I, and I do it too. I, mean, is, I don't mean this in a condemning way. It's just, in a, it's just kind of the way it is. I'm, I'm the same way. If you, if, if, uh, you show up and, and your boots are muddy and your clothes are dirty, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think, oh, well, you, you probably do this for a living. If you show up in a three-piece suit, I'm going to think, well, you probably do this for a living. And we, we think that way in North America. So what I don't want us to have as a church family, I don't want us to look and say, and see a picture like my friend there and think, aw, isn't that neat? We're helping that poor guy proclaim the gospel. It's so neat that we, can, we help out those poor people, right? I want us to help out poor people, but I want you to understand that's not what we're talking about here. That man right there is one of the most successful and competent Christian leaders on the planet. He is a, a Muslim convert. He was saved out of Islam, and he has gone back to his people. He has started four Muslim churches, people who, all with Islam background who have come to Christ and now are following Christ. That is, I don't know of one church in North America that that's happened. I don't know of one leader in North America who has started four churches like that. It's unheard of, right? So when we talk about working with our chatting partners, we're not talking about like helping out some folks who are really giving it their best. We're, we're talking about highly competent, highly intelligent, very gifted individuals who are being used by God. I have another friend there, I don't have his picture up, but you would look at him, if I put his picture up, you'd look at him in the same way. You would, it's, a, it's an economic bias. I do it, you do it, we all do it. This man speaks, he speaks seven languages, seven. A lot of you can't speak English. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> right? So there, there's this joke that they say, uh, what do you call a person who speaks three languages or trilingual? What do, you, what do you call a person who speaks two languages? They're bilingual. What do you call a person who speaks one language? They're an American, right? So it, it's seven languages. He's translating the Bible into these 120 different languages into these tribal languages. He's translating the New Testament. Like he does it like at home. <laughs> these are brilliant people. Incredibly, some of the best Christian leaders on the planet. And that's, that's why this work of God is going in these enormous ways. So this is who we're partnering with. And when we talk about medicine, what you're gonna look, we, see we would look at like that hospitals I showed you and we would, we would see that with an economic bias. Like, oh, it's kind of dirty and like there's no carpet. And the, these guys are inventing medical procedures uh, to, that, that are changing people's lives. So these are world-class leaders. If, if they were here in North America and had access to our money and all the rest, we would, we would see them that way. But they, they are world-class leaders and they are doing something that, to my knowledge, is unprecedented on the planet right now. It's probably the greatest church planning movement on the globe at the moment. And, and those, he, he is one of the leaders of, of those. Amazing That's man. Unbelievable. And I think of a verse uh, that popped in my head as we were talking about this earlier. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, 
He says that the things you've heard from me and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And my goodness, is that not the definition Absolutely. of the people we're working with? I mean, potentially more entrusted to that work than we could even be. We would never be effective in doing what they're doing there. No. And then they're teaching us stuff. They're probably reading that verse saying, yeah, the things that we've shared with Jeff and their team, now they're being entrusted to take that back to the United States. And what a phenomenal partnership there. And, and that's what it truly is. It's a partnership. Mm-hmm. And it, it's... What they don't have access to is they don't have access to the things that money can buy. So when you think about building a hospital or you think about getting an education, it it would be like me looking at you guys and saying, you know what you need to do? You need to go out and you need to buy a 747 and you need to maintain it and you need to fly it on vacation wherever you go. The econo- you, you would look and say, that is economically impossible for me to do, right? Well, looking at a chatty and saying, these clinics, yeah, you guys should just build those things. It's impossible. There is no industry. There is no access. Now, they, they grow their, they support themselves. They're not charity cases. But when you think about building or providing, it, it can't be done. It literally can't be done unless the whole body of Christ does it. I can't, re- I can't go to, to Chad or any other place on the planet and start a, a church for Muslims. I can't do it. They can do it. They can't provide the economy. We can do that. The reason we bring in leadership training and theological training is because there's no, there's no internet. There's no television. There's no libraries. There's literally no place to go get that information. So we have all of that. So Dr. Bogue can go in and teach something, right? And, and help them in those ways. They, they learn it, they get it instantly. They know what to do with it before we're done with the lesson. But we bring that in and then they're doing this, this incredible work and it, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. I feel like that um, we have a unique responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't talk about this a ton here at Grace, but Grace is a part of an international network of churches called the Grace Brethren Fellowship. And in the Grace Brethren Fellowship, we have thousands of churches all all over the world. And these pastors, everything I've just told you, these are Grace Brethren pastors. If these guys lived in Akron, they would come to church here, right? So we we often say we're all in the same Grace Brethren tribe or spiritual tribe. Like we share the same things, view the Bible the same way, have the same passions. So these are Grace Brethren pastors doing Grace Brethren work, we're, we're Grace Brethren work. The reason that we have a unique responsibility and I don't talk, we just don't talk about this a ton, but Grace Church of Greater Akron, so the Medina, the Barberton, the Bath, the, the Norton Campus, we are the largest Grace Brethren Church in the world, by far. So we're the largest Grace Brethren Church in the world. And our Chadian colleagues know that and have said, man, would, would you guys help us? Would you train us? Would you partner with us? Would you... And we, in 1990, or in 2009, we said, yes, we will. We see what you're doing. We see that you're capable. We see that you guys are excelling. And, and we will bring to bear what we have to be part of this movement. So I feel like it's an enormous uh, uh, invitation to be a part of the most prolific church planning movement that's happening on the, on the world. And it's an enormous responsibility because we actually can make a difference. And we are, by the way, you are doing that right now and we can do it more and more. And it is just a hoot and a holler to, to be a part of, that doesn't translate well into that phrase, but it's a, it's a joy is the way you say it. But it's a, it's a joy um, to be a part of it. It's absolutely a blast. Yeah, it, it's kind of uh, humbling to say that we are able to help facilitate and help and encourage that I'm almost shocked that we're allowed to do that. But yet here God has placed us and it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks Jeff for sharing this. Let's give Jeff a round of applause. He made it through it. He's feeling all right. Um, Appreciate your leadership to take our church in those kind of ways. And 
Uh, we get to see that hope taken to places like this uh, all the time in places like Chad, uh, other countries around the world, other places here in the city. Uh, we, get to, we get to see that happen all the time. But if, if you're like me, um, you're probably um, a little challenged right now because you're like, okay, that's great. Lots of great stuff happening in Africa. Lots of uh, great opportunity for these guys that are moving there uh, and they're these Chadian leaders. But what about me? Uh, what, what am I supposed to do with this? And uh, so I, I have some ideas. I have some things that I'd like to share and encourage you to really begin doing uh, over the next days and weeks um, as we continue to talk through these things. And these three things are simple, but they're very powerful. So the first thing is that we need to be praying about these things that are happening. And, and, and here's what I don't want to accidentally communicate um, it's not just the simple prayer of God, please bless what's happening in Africa. Um, it's a great prayer. It's a viable prayer. But let's really be digging in what, what, is, what is needed to happen there. When we see Craig and Jackie Palmer, we need to be praying for them to have the strength and the health and the drive to continue to do what God has called them to do. As Jeff mentioned, it's, it's a lonely thing to be the only people from kind of your home base, your home culture in that area. They, they need to wake up ready to go. They need your prayers. They need that strength that only God can provide. And so praying for them, praying for the Chadians. We know of... We have Chadian friends that have lost their lives uh, in pursuit of taking the gospel to these places. And so we need to pray for them and pray for uh, that fervor and that, that and again, even health, because uh, it's a hard place even for folks that are from there. Um, and then even praying, what is God doing in us, right? Like, is there something that God is specifically challenging us to do as individuals to get behind this uh, type of work as well. Now, that's the first thing, so we should be praying. The second is giving, okay? So in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk a little bit about what we need to do as a church to continue to be behind this movement, but it's even simple things like getting behind uh, missions workers like the Palmers personally, uh, helping support them, making sure they are able to stay on the field, um, and, and folks like them. We support lots of different missions workers here at the church. Maybe it's getting behind one of those, or getting behind an inner city organization personally, but truthfully saying, I'm giving to this. I want to be a part of of what God is doing. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, so to speak, and be a part of it. But there could be simple things as well. It could be supporting a short-term person to take a trip to explore these things. We just had a few go with Jeff this, uh, these last weeks. Um, you can support those kind of things. And it might even be as simple as grocery shopping or getting some supplies from the hardware store and sending those with a team that goes down. It's amazing what a box of screws or a jar of peanut butter can mean to, in Chad. And I'm serious. Um, we just got an update on Facebook. Facebook, again, you can follow these guys, where <laughs> Craig was like, whoever sent the peanut butter and the miracle whip, God bless you. I could kiss you. Uh, he is so excited because he hasn't had that in months now, and it's the simple things, right? But they can't get that in Chad. And so you can even get behind them and add to their sanity, add to that encouragement and love by doing some of those things as well. So pray. We can give. Uh, God has put us in a position to do that. And the third thing is to go. If you have never taken an overseas, um, out of the country uh, missions trip, if you've never gone on a GO team to do that, I highly recommend that you do that. Um, it's not just because I'm the missions guy, it's because God opens our eyes in ways that we never thought possible when we step out of what we know and see how God is working in other places around the world. Um, when we see that our friends in Chad are reading the same Bible that we are and getting the same encouragement, the same challenge, but through the lens of living there and not here, that does something. When we begin to see how uh, entire people groups live and their struggles and what they do and do not have access to and how God can work through us to continue uh, to build up the kingdom of God around the world, it's incredible. So I, I do challenge you to take one of those trips. And who knows, um, God might be asking you to take one of those long-term steps. As we mentioned before, the Palmers are normal people. 
right? He, he was a plumber. She's had different administrative jobs, and they're very, very good at those things, but that's not necessarily who you might stereotypically think, oh, that's the person that should be a missionary, um, but they're following the call of God and doing an amazing work uh, over there in Chad, and so maybe God is pushing that button in you, and you need to explore, all right, Lord, do I need to get the training necessary and move my life in that trajectory? So any form of going uh, is a way that we can... Uh, honestly make an impact as well. One small story that uh, was just reminded me, even in between these services, there was um, a, a lady, a part of one of our partner churches in Mexico, and she's a part of this church, loves Jesus, helping the church grow and multiply. Uh, she is an incredible woman, incredible leader, and she traces her understanding of who God is all the way back to when she was about six years old. A short-term team came down and worked in her village and worked with them. And she still remembers to this day, she's like in her 40s now, she remembers to this day just the love and attention of this team that was there for a week, being held by that team and being loved by that team. She traces back to if people of Jesus love like this, I want to be a part of that. And that's what she traces back. And that was just a team of someone coming down for a week to love and serve in that way. So it's amazing what you going really does accomplish as well. Now, as we kind of scale this all back, if, if you kind of are sensing similar things as I did multiple years ago, where it's like, there's something that I need to, to discover in my faith journey. There's something, maybe you've been a believer for a while, but right now you're feeling maybe like your faith is stuck. Um, maybe God's challenging you to be a part of serving, of taking hope where hope is hard to find, of helping to multiply that love and that hope to folks that don't have it, because it will um, rejuvenate your sense of purpose, your sense of drive, and your sense of connection to the Lord as well when you pursue those things. If a little bit of attention can get a nine-year-old boy in Brooklyn to ask me to be his dad— Imagine what would happen if God's church would give that kind of love and spread that hope around the world. It's incredible to see what God might be able to do through us if we respond as he would call us to. So the band's going to come up now, and we're going to uh, pray, and we're going to go through some music here. And I want to encourage us, as we do this, to really be praying, spend some time, just your heart to God's heart, God, how are you asking me to respond? How should I be praying? How should I be giving? How should I be going? What is it that you're asking me to do? Um, Lord, how can you help my faith um, take that leap forward and to be connected to you in even that more powerful way? So right now, why don't we pray together? And then as we sing, let's continue to reflect and ask God those very questions. Father, I am... Um, personally so grateful for that experience with that little boy. I'm so grateful that you would want to be connected to me, that you would want to have a relationship with me. The challenge and the encouragement that I get on a regular and daily basis just by being connected to you is unbelievable. And Father, the, the boost of energy, of faith, of purpose, and of your love and hope that I was able to receive by doing these types of service, I pray that every one of your followers is able to experience that by simply taking that step, saying, I will be a part. I will do what I can do. I will do what God is asking me to do. Father, will you use us? Will you use us to continue to make a difference here in our city and around the world? Will you take us and use us to share hope where hope is the hardest to find. God, thank you for loving us, for changing us, and then for inviting us to be a part of your work. It's in your name of Christ that we pray these things. Amen.